yeah! The road to WrestleMania 34 is paved with underjuice. We're about to pour some out for our homies. In This Corner with Brian Campbell returns with the Pro Wrestling Edition as we attempt to prove the age-old adage that size does matter. With an absolutely loaded, pulsating show, if you will. Just days away from WWE Elimination Chamber. The Brian Campbell, in fact, the voice that you hear. The man with the plan. As we set to look back at the week that was in WWE. Preview Sunday's card on the road to WrestleMania 34. And go back into the archives of Pay-Per-View Rewind for the Tour de Goldberg. That was the Elimination Chamber match from SummerSlam 2003. Hey, we'll also look at this week in NJPW. Talk some revelation. Revolution and hear from a few of our most passionate listeners. Guys, this show, as you already know, right? It's all man, all the time. You have more raw testosterone flowing through your body than an all male prison. And it's brought to you by the irresistible force known as that performance enhancing audio. Look, folks, we do it all on this show. Consider the ITC your home and a one stop shop for everything you need in wrestling, podcasting. Oh, you didn't know. Well-dressed Nick Costos remains idle this week, but with me, as always, is the, let's say, the Rene Dupree to my Sylvan Grenier, the Henry O to my Phineas Godwin. Yes, the Silver King himself. Silver King wasting no time to get the offense going here. Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. Adam, we're back. We're ready. We'll try to fit this show in under four hours if we can. We got a lot to say. We're knee-deep in that road to WM34. How are you feeling this fine afternoon from sunny South Florida? I'm feeling good. I, I think I want to adopt a new moniker since everyone apparently can now use Mr. Monday Night. I would also like to be called Mr. Monday Night Adam Silverstein. We got Rob Van Dam. We got Seth Rollins. I'll take it on as well. So, so let's just go. Everyone, BC, you're also Mr. Monday Night at this point. I would take Thursday Night Thunder, BC. You know, a little, little shout-out there, a little throwback there. That was supposed to be Bret Hart's vehicle, but as we all know, what happened? Bret screwed Bret. I have no sympathy whatsoever. <laughs> and he could not keep that show above water, nor the rest of his career. Another debate for another time, Silver King. Let, let me ask you this. What was your favorite short-lived WWE show? Because they had a lot. They had the, the Saturday, Sunday shows. I loved, loved Sunday Night Heat. Yeah, well, so, I was going to say, every answer I'm going to really give you is, like, the shows that were on, like, 85 and 86 during my early, you know, golden era years. But, yeah, for, for past that, Sunday Night Heat, loved it. Loved, and, look, it was, it, was, it was a little bit of fire on the way into uh, when they use it as a lead-in show to pay-per-views. That was, it was great stuff. Yeah, I mean, it almost was their default kickoff show, but it was way better than a kickoff show had any, you know, that had any, like, chance of being just because of the way they booked it. Almost as a separate show, but then they put, um, you know, matches on that card and then obviously advertised the pay-per-view. That's when people still ordered pay-per-views back in, uh, what, <laughs> you know, I don't the remember. 2000s. I don't remember those days. Come team. on. But obviously, if, I, if you're going to tell you any spinoff show, I was going to say I'm a big Tuesday Night Thunder guy. I love going on the network and going back and watching, you know, Vince McMahon just try to pull on some some weird sarcasm and do the Johnny Carson bit. Like, that was, you know, those were good times back then in, like, what were we, like, talking 84, 85? And in 1984, brother... When you were still pooping in your diapers, dude. That was that was probably before your time, Adam, but you know. That was definitely before my time. But I actually thought you were most likely gonna mention Saturday night's main event as a way for us to slide into our edition of the main event. This is the 
So, BC, let's talk about, you know, what really shook the ground in WWE this week. And that was what you could call, if you want to consider it a single match, the longest match in WWE history. Nearly two hours, a seven-man gauntlet to set up, you know, what we're going to see in Elimination Chamber, the first ever seven-man Elimination Chamber match. You had Seth Rollins that really got the shine as the Iron Man in this match. And it was ultimately won by Braun Strowman. BC, going into this Raw, I think you and I both kind of had the same opinion here of they're going to do a seven-man elimination chamber match at the pay-per-view. Why do we need to see (laughs) these seven men do a a gauntlet match on Raw? And really, what are they ultimately fighting for? Were you, was your opinion, you know, going into Raw completely changed by the product that they put out those first two hours on Monday night? No, it wasn't completely changed. And I know there's a lot of people that are getting on even me, you know, powers of positivity, BC going, you hate everything lately. You're always upset at everything. In the end, this unique way of starting Raw on this go-home show, a two-hour-plus match with all stars taking over the first, you know, hijacking the whole show, in the end, even with the giant high spots that it created in the middle, it it didn't cover the sins. It, honestly, it didn't cover the fact that they they didn't have anything booked for a go-home show. This is, I know, the new norm in the network era. Go-home shows are not what they used to be. They're not there to, to drive pay-per-view buys. We're not going to get big reveals. But at least we could get some big beatdowns to get us excited. At least we can get something. This was very formulaic in the end. I like the unique factor, yes. I like that we'll be able to talk about this many years from now. Remember that two-hour match on Raw? That's cool. And I don't want to sit here and be all negative without, of course, talking to you, Adam, about the the real high spot on this night, Monday Night Rollins. Like, if they wanted to give him a moment, and we don't know what this moment will become, if this will be the beginning of something, even if it's just a moment in time, heck yeah, that was a moment in time. And I tweeted that. It's like, how? shout out to WWE, really, for turning us from being, you know, smart, angry marks right there and saying, you know, this is the pay-per-view main event six days from now that you're giving us away now with nothing at stake to me deleting those tweets basically and being like, holy crap, this is fun. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you in that it didn't change my opinion of the booking in that you have a seven man gauntlet, you know, in kayfabe, why are these guys going to expend this type of energy when they're fighting for a WWE, a universal title shot, you know, six days later? Why is Rollins going all out? It doesn't make sense. In, yeah, in we a can't look past fashion. that. We cannot look past that. I no. don't care if somebody and, says, just enjoy yourself. You know when you can enjoy yourself, Adam? Mixed match challenge on Tuesday nights. That's just a just enjoy yourself, not in a go-home pay-per-view. No, you're right. And they also had nothing to fight for. Like that match they did, that triple threat, uh, that which Elias ultimately won to have him be the last guy, you know, to enter the elimination chamber. They should have saved that for this. Now, they, you know, you know WWE doesn't always book two, three weeks ahead when it comes to Raw. But had they had the foresight, you would say, okay, the gauntlet match, here's why it matters. The winner of this is going to enter the chamber last that you get you get your rest on the back end so store again storyline wise and that's really our biggest issue with wwe these days we don't we don't dislike the wrestling we don't have problems you know necessarily with all the characters it's really the booking and the storyline and that was the problem that said you're right bc monday night rollins giving him that shine for an hour in the ring not just that giving him clean wins over roman reigns and john cena which i read somewhere was Cena's first clean loss on Raw since 2009. Wow. 2009. Wow. Okay? So when you consider that, like, that's pretty big for Rollins. Now, that that goes into another situation with Cena, which I'm sure we'll talk about here. But I like him getting this shine. I think he was put in a very difficult position in 2017. 
obviously coming off the knee injury, got stuck in this tag team picture all all year. Roman got sick. Dean Ambrose got hurt. He then got Jason Jordan. Jason Jordan got hurt. They've made something. They've basically rectified all of that by giving him the shine in this particular match. Oh, yeah, and it felt like the best version of Rollins we'd seen since prime 2015 heel Rollins, which I think that's that year is aging better like a fine wine. I think that we're, you know, we always talk about AJ's 2016, which is historically all-time great. Rollins 2015 was really good during a year that didn't feature a lot of great booking. He really carried it. So he's not back to his full heel self because they haven't turned him, but this was the best main event elite representation of him Adam because he had become a second tier superstar you can argue that but I think it's true he was an elite second tier superstar since his comeback from injury but outside of being in the universal championship match with Finn Balor at SummerSlam a couple years ago he'd really become a secondary top star sort of you know not in the category of Lesnar Reigns Goldberg for a season you know, on and on there. This felt like that again. And they didn't get there by turning him heel, which is what he's best at. They got there by giving him some like old school Shawn Michaels type of booking and really, really allowing what he does best, which really is to wrestle. Let let it be the forefront. And yes, I have problems when matches don't mean anything. And yes, they could have fixed this in advance by making stipulations for this gauntlet match you know, play for a spot in the match or play for the order of entry in the match like they did the last few weeks. And by the way, shout out to Raw. They did that successfully. The build to Elimination Chamber has actually been really fun because the matches on Raw have mattered. I do have a problem that they didn't matter this week, but yes, it was so good. And when I say it, specifically, Cena versus Rollins was so good. People saying match of the year contender, yeah, kind of, you know, really was that... It had everything you'd want in a pay-per-view match, and the crowd loved it so much because they were getting what they wanted from Rollins so bad that even smarky me, who wants to so badly to be WWE's, I don't want to work at WWE, but I want so badly to be their quality control person that they would call and say, what what are we missing in the storyline here? What plot holes are there? I, I want to be that guy because I just can't watch it without being that guy, right? They even had me press pause on that part of my emotions and just soak up what Rollins was doing. And that's great. That's great. Well, you mentioned Rollins. You mentioned them kind of, you know, bringing Rollins into the second tier of main eventer. And I think we need to clarify that's a consequence of their booking and a lot of things that are happening on Raw, not just with Rollins, but with Finn Balor as well, are a consequence of Brock Lesnar holding the title for a full year and wrestling five times on television. Like that, when you take away a world title and you refuse to put those guys in the intercontinental title picture, which they could have been all year, and you instead decide that you want to use Rollins and Ambrose, and I was okay with this, to help Reigns regain his babyface popularity. Well, let me tell you something. Rollins got a bigger cheer last night, or sorry, not last night, Monday night on Raw, than Reigns has in years. And that's including when he was with the Shield. And it, it, we have other DMs to get to, but I have one of my own. An additional question, not on our scheduled rundown here for today's show, BC. Hold on, do you hear that noise? Can I have your attention, please? How long has that been on sound? I've just received an email from the anonymous Raw General Manager, Michael Cole. All right, that was gratuitous. I just wanted to get to the Vince part because it was great. Just added. It that was thing. how long? How long? I want to know how long that's been on the soundboard. That's though. been on the soundboard for about forty-five minutes, and, and I and I couldn't. I oh, couldn't, I couldn't wait to get. But yeah, it looks like we got an, an email DM drop. What do you got for us, Silver King? Okay, so no, this is just a, a, a kind of a statement or a thought I want to put out there. 
we understand why Vince McMahon has chosen Roman Reigns to be the heir apparent to John Cena. There's myriad reasons. He likes the size. He likes the, the family legacy, you know, ethnicity, so on and so forth. I think WWE may have made a massive mistake doing this, not just because Reigns is still not getting over, despite everything that they've tried to do for him. And BC, I know you think that he's been or you've said that he's been totally rectified. But if you look at the responses from the crowd, he's not completely over as a babyface. He's just not. He's not even seen a level over. He's not Dolph Ziggler level over. He's not Bray Wyatt level over in terms of just getting a majority of cheers. But when you look at Seth Rollins, the guy's basically been stuck in this tag team scene, right? Wrestling the bar in some you know, formation for the last year. He gets an hour on Raw to go over, and the crowd explodes for him. So here's the question I have for you. Did Vince McMahon and WWE make a mistake? Has it really always been Seth Rollins as the next HBK and not Roman Reigns as the next John Cena that can be WWE's top star? Wow, wow, interesting theory there. That Was that, wait, did I miss it? Was that a DM slide or was that from the, D, the, the, the DM that's offices of, of the Silver King himself? Adam that's, the, that's the Silver King sliding into his All right, DMs. I was waiting for you to drop a name there. That is a very interesting thought. Did they get the wrong man? I mean, I think you could still do both without a, without a problem, but are they figuring out that Rollins should be that man that should be that hbk no because look roman is look yeah he brings everything of of vince mcmahon run territory would want like you mentioned off the top you know the look the size the heritage the performance ability they they substituted in rollins at the at wrestlemania 31 for a spot that reigns could have gone over clean so that showed that even though yes that was probably more knee-jerk as a reaction to their own issues booking the 2015 rumble that caused all this it did show that they were comfortable putting the ball in his hands like look what that moment was so good wrestlemania 31 and i remember fluidly watching it in todd grisham's basement uh, name drop there shout out to the great todd grisham but is because we i didn't see it coming i knew he could cash in but i didn't see the company putting the ball in his hands and i certainly didn't see it lasting six seven months the answer still is no but i like to entertain it Brian, what match would you rather see at WrestleMania, Rollins-Lesnar or Reigns-Lesnar? Match. I still want to see Reigns-Lesnar because let's not forget how great, great the, their 31 match was before Seth got in. The fact that there was like real stiff, actual hurting each other and pissing each other off. Like that was a, that was, that was a moment. That was a match. That was a car wreck between two great all-timers. Oh, it's going to be great when they do it. I'm not hating on Roman either. I like him. I like him more than a lot of other people do. I'm just looking at it and I'm saying, Vince is looking for his Cena when he has his Shawn Michaels. I'm not saying that Rollins has the same charisma as HBK. He's also really young in WWE and has plenty of time to develop it. But he's gone face, heel, face with relative ease. He was great as a heel WWE. Uh, you know, I think it was WWE champion at the time. Yeah, it was. Um, he did great as that. He he works well um, with basically any single person on the roster. You've seen him wrestle Everyone, and it's always a really good match because he is that good, and he's upped his game as of late now that he's feeling extremely comfortable on his knee, which obviously when he first came back, he was still kind of tentative. He's back in that mode that he was, you know, in 2015 and 2016 before he got hurt. So I don't know. It, it just speaks to me that they're sticking to their guns where they when they really have someone else here, and the same happened with Daniel Bryan. The, the fans are telling you, this is what we want. We, we're ready to explode over this. Give this guy the push. And they're just sticking to what they do, and that's always Vince. But I mean, the I don't real know, answer I saw is it Monday night. Yeah, the real answer is they need to do more of what they did on Monday night, and they need to bring him back to the level he was in 2015. That's all the real answer. But to the whole debate between him and Roman, it's 
you kind of summed it up. Seth has more HBK potential. Roman has more Cena potential. And when you have Cena potential, you are headlining WrestleManias. And I think Roman is better suited to headline WrestleManias, which is a different role than being the HBK role. Even though HBK also headlined WrestleManias, the HBK role is more of the Savage Steamboat WrestleMania 3 match role, which is to be your worker, not necessarily always be your face in a Cena-Hogan role. Roman Reigns is the guy to do that, even though it's been a rocky road getting him there. I mean, I think we're comparing both of these guys to obviously two of the greatest all time, but I think Rollins is closer to HBK now than Reigns is to Cena, not in terms of in-ring ability, but in terms of the overall package. What Vince McMahon had in John Cena or has in John Cena, you're talking like in some ways even better than Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin just because of his ability to relate to families and charity and all the stuff he does. In right? that category. He's a Hogan. mix of – He's a mix of Steve, not really Steve Austin, but no, no. Hulk Hogan, The Rock, a little bit of Austin, like all in one. Reigns is not anywhere near that. He's good in the ring and getting better on the mic, but he doesn't have that magnetism that John Cena and all these guys do, whereas Rollins has the in-ring ability, the mic work, and he's getting a lot better in the overall package, and he's closer to HBK. So what I'm saying is, why don't you catch lightning in the bottle in terms of, instead of, Working like on your seven to ten year plan on Roman Reigns, which still hasn't come because to fruition. Roman Reigns three is... years after that, they had to replace or they had to add Rollins to that match just to get it. You know, you a, said gr- a great finish the fans wanted. I thought you said Adderall there. I thought you were making a Reigns joke, but um, the, basically because Reigns' ceiling is always going to be higher than Rollins, and Vince knows that. That's the bottom line because Reigns has a higher higher ceiling to be the guy rather than be a all time great. The ceiling, the ceiling is higher, I agree, but if you can't reach it, then what good is that ceiling existing? Vince it's kind is of... stubborn. He will get there, and we all know yeah. that. I hear another so... I hear another noise out there, Adam. Yeah. And it's a Boas DM slide from Sammy Redden at 50 miles underscore east who says, Is the performance of Rollins on Raw and Balor at the Rumble enough of a premise for a Mania feud? I'd be down, he says, if it ended in an Iron Man match. But imagine – he doesn't think it's going to happen, but he says imagine a pre-show 60-minute Iron Man match. Keep imagining, Adam, your thoughts. So, yeah, I mean you'll never see that. I like the idea for an Iron Man match probably not during Mania because it's already so long. And to keep a, a crowd's attention for that long with everything else that needs to happen on the show, that's not the right spot for it. But I would be down to see this move into a feud because if you are if you believe reports and, and you believe that it's going to wind up Ms. Braun Strowman and you certainly got – some inkling of that Monday night, the way this gauntlet match ended. I think Rollins Balor for two guys who literally right now have nothing. It could steal the show at WrestleMania. Oh yeah. It doesn't need to be late in the card. It can be hour one, but I think it's a great match. I mean, that's your savage steamboat match, which every WrestleMania right. needs. It needs that, that middle of the card match between your two best workers at, at that moment or, or potentially two of your top best workers. I mean, yeah. I mean, I wish. Sometimes I wish WWE would go out of their way more to always have that match and have it in a prominent spot. The the really we'll call it we'll always call it the the Savage Steamboat match, and these two would be great to be those guys. So I think essentially what Sammy is saying is, where's Rollins going to Mania? And I hope it's Balor. I hope. I mean that's 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 that bottom line there. So yeah, I mean I, I think they definitely alluded to it with the uh, I don't know well, I don't even know what we call it anymore. The curb stomp, the blackout, the stomp. I mean. Either Michael Cole, Vince, WWE, pick a name for this maneuver, right? It's a great finisher. Anyway, um, I think they alluded to it a little bit with Rollins hitting Balor, kind of dazing him a couple weeks ago on Raw. Now you have Balor obviously got extreme shine uh, at the Royal Rumble. You have Rollins getting extreme shine on Raw. I think there is a way to put that match together and say, you know what? It's not for a title like fans would probably prefer, but as our number 
three men's match on Raw, that kicks ass. And I say number three, obviously, talking intercontinental title with Miz and Braun. It's really would be number two, at least for me. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And I know this is something that you got tipped off of being a smart WWE booking fan, but the second Reigns gets pinned by Rollins to open that gauntlet match, it's like, oh, yeah, if we, it was over. if we didn't already know, tell you a hundred times over that Reigns is going to win on Sunday night and face Brock Lesnar, it was like they just tipped their hat right there. Uh, we did get the second bonus DM slide from Mick, at Mick underscore Johnson, and we just want to agree with what he said. He just was like, hey, Adam, why, if the Miz and the Miz Taraj is going to beat up Finn Balor, where are the good brothers to run in? Are you kidding me? Mick had a lot of details on that, but he's right. So, you know, there's no, nothing yeah, else like, more to say to that. I, I don't get what they're doing with the Balor Club. They introduced it, and now – and they were kind of heels week one, and now they're total faces, but now you don't see them help Finn. Like, yeah, <laughs> again, it was, it's just – it's consistency it a and continuity. A it's not there. But the one thing I think uh, overall – I think you'll agree with me that Raw did give me – because when I say that is Raw gave us in the moment – Rollins action that was great and we all popped for it and it was great right. but it didn't give us outside of the women at the end of the show which which was well done I thought it didn't give us advancement of the storyline ahead of Wrestlemania six days out from Elimination Chamber except for this Adam John Cena's cryptic promo and give Raw credit for doing the picture in picture you know mid-match backstage interviews and Cena gets interviewed by Renee Young and he gives a very cryptic Yes, he repeated that I won't have a road to WrestleMania if I lose, which I know we can all kind of clown on. But look, I'm, I'm, I'm allowing myself to stay in kayfabe and believe that, that what he's saying. But that, what he ended up saying after that, mixed with his facial expressions during the match, mixed with his facial expressions during other EC play-in matches where he sort of didn't want to drop the hammer and go for the kill and he, he's been looking sort of indifferent. Adam, I saw him teasing this week. Am I doing too much outside of the ring, right? He referenced juggling and how hard it is and that he needs a victory on Sunday. And I think for all of us that know and feel that Reigns is going to win, this was the only time storyline-wise, kayfabe-wise, that you're like, well, maybe Cena could win because he really needs it. We know it's not going to happen, but I thought they played that well. Ultimately, what do you think this means? And don't just say it means it's going to take us to take her, because if you're going to say that, at least tell me storyline-wise how it's going to make sense. Yeah, that, that's not a great – and I don't have a great answer for you on that, other than to possibly say, you know, Cena loses the match. He's kind of down in the dumps. Um, I don't know what I have. Then you have Taker maybe come out. You know, I, I just got beat last year. I'm not done yet, and I'm going to end you. You know, I'll be the one who ends you since I don't know. Like it, yeah, it's, it's, I got to I got to I got a tweet saying I said this word way too much last week's on last week's show. I think I said it five times. I'll say it once today. I'll try to only say it once. It's convoluted. Um, <laughs> I did think BC though that this promo from Cena was way better than last week. Last week he's like, I just don't have a road to WrestleMania, and we crapped all over him for it because John, if you want to be in WrestleMania. You'll be able to be in WrestleMania tier 50, probably beyond that. They'll always have a spot for you. Like, how could he actually worry about that? Um, if, even if but, he was washed and no one liked his character, he'd still be in the Andre the Jobber Battle Royal. Come on, John. He, yeah, they would find, they're going to find a spot for you, John. Don't worry. You'll at worst be on the kickoff show panel. Like, I guarantee it. Um, but I, I thought his promo this week was much better because it added some layers to it. I did like, as you, as you noted, the references to like out, his outside engagements and how much he has to do. And I want to say one other thing, just because you mentioned it. You know, one of my biggest issues with WWE recently, and some of you say it's minor and nitpicking. I don't agree. It's their production. And I thought the way they produced that first, those first two hours on Raw with Renee Young in that role 
was fantastic. Yes. It was new, fresh, completely different from anything they've ever done, and it was almost a better use of the picture-in-picture picture than SmackDown does going to commercial break. I would rather have that and regular commercials than what SmackDown does, even though that's at least unique and keeps you engaged and, you know, you don't really fast forward through the commercials. So I loved everything about it, BC. Yeah, no, uh, that was completely great. And the whole Cena situation is interesting because how we got to Taker Reigns last year wasn't enough to me because you know how we got there? It's my yard now. So we were, what would we take from that? We said, okay, the yard used to be Taker's and now Reigns wants it. And it, look, I get that, but it was handled so fast, right? It was like a two and a half, three week build and it just didn't necessarily I didn't have emotion in that final match. That's why even though when Taker walked away and people are crying in the crowd and WWE's 24 documentary series made it feel a lot more emotional than I felt being in the stadium that night. Maybe I'm just not a big Taker, Mark, and that's true. But I just didn't feel like they gave me enough in the storyline to really make me care about the ending and get emotionally invested. I hope we get that with Cena because there has still been some unanswered Cena Easter eggs. And I can take you back to 2016 SummerSlam following that five-star match with AJ when he took off his sweatband and left it in the middle of the ring and we're like is he retiring is this his full-time retirement into part-time acting and juggling and I had a phone interview with him a couple months after that match and he kind of angrily was like that's something personal for me I'm not going to tell you and we never saw that storyline played out is there going to be a callback to that is there going to be something that gets us to Cena Taker if that's where we're going that is that gets us to care about John not just two old stars are gonna are gonna who never fought each other are gonna be the fourth biggest card in the match. That, you know, on the on the card. That's 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 where I'm at emotionally right now with this. It it's a fair take. What I'm just wondering a little bit is, <laughs> are we gonna wind up with like John Cena and Nikki Bella versus Undertaker and Michelle McCool? Like, oh, is that no, just what they're oh gonna give God. us instead? Then the women's <laughs> Rumble uh, Easter egg drop there with Michelle McCool getting like 2002 booking, right? I mean, she she ran through people, and it was interesting and. So it's interesting, real, real quick on the Women's Rumble. I love the call, all the old-timers coming in, right? We popped for it. But you saw the difference between the eras. You saw how much more physically stronger and athletic they are today. Even though some of these from an era 10, 15 years ago got in great shape and could still do the moves, you saw the difference just in size. Like, I always thought Brie Bella, not believable as a strong wrestler because she's just too thin. And she doesn't have a style, I thought, that accentuated the, the you know her, her body type i thought it was like she was doing power moves in a very thin body michelle mccool taking everybody out was a little bit of a stretch of uh of the old uh you know suspension of disbelief that was a little bit of a stretch but trish looked amazing and totally capable of being in the women's division today even go go go, go ahead play it i know uh, okay, it's fine people heard the zipper it's fine it was just it was oh, an editor- oh, oh, it was an okay. editorial drop she looked amazing in that way too, okay? So, but she looked capable of being in the women's division today. And Molly Holly, she, I think, is actually a wrestling trainer right now. She was pretty impressive with her moves in that match as well. So, I, I don't want to totally undersell what the veterans did in that match, but yes, the majority of them and, and McCool getting that type of run right in the middle of the match as like the featured player in the middle, it was really crazy. Before we get off Raw, I want to stick with women though for a minute, uh, cause obviously we're going to talk Elimination Chamber, but, for the first time since she made her appearance at the Royal Rumble, her first appearance as a quote-unquote full-time member of WWE, they actually did something beyond say Ronda Rousey's name on Raw. And we don't really have another spot in the show to talk about this. They did what I thought was an amazing promo for her, not just selling her celebrity and her ability in MMA, but actually showed her doing wrestling moves uh, in the squared circle. I thought it was one of the best video packages that they've done definitely in 2018. but. Really? In the last six months or so. And what I'm curious about, and maybe I had the exact just took them re- wild. 
I had the exact react, opposite reaction. I thought it was like, we're really not getting Ronda again, and we're just going to use old package material. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm shocked that you say that. I, I, I liked it a lot. My question was, why haven't they been built? Like, they did a hundred promos for Asuka. Why didn't, why haven't they been doing a Ronda promo every week leading into Elimination Chamber? Then you get her on Raw coming out, coming out of that. Yeah. Why isn't she talking? That's my, that's my whole question. Is it just to keep the suspense up for Sunday night? Probably. In the end, probably. And maybe it's because she's in Columbia with Mark Wahlberg for all we know right now. So that, you know, that could be a big part of it. And they're slow playing. I'm shocked. I, I gotta be honest. I'm shocked you didn't like that promo. Yeah, I'm shocked. You thought I thought it was really. Uh, um, I mean, look, they do promos well. That's what WWE does. But I don't think that gave me anything but a bunch of video clips. I'd been because because I'm an MMA fan, a journalist, and I've already you know devoured ten times over that it was just. So I mean, if they're educating a crowd that doesn't watch MMA, maybe that maybe that was better for them. All right, fair enough. BC, let's move on to the second part of our main event. SmackDown was so yeah freaking yeah. bad again for the fourth straight week. BC, do you want to know how much I think it has it improved week over week? Zero point zero. So, <laughs> so now that you know how I feel, BC, how do you feel? Yeah, um, it wasn't offensively bad like I like week one and two of this dark slide has been. It was more like last week, which was unoffensive, and that's the problem. Like, don't give me two hours of unoffensive wrestling, right? You know, either bring out Kane and ruin it so we have something to talk about, or do the job, which is pave the road to WrestleMania 34. They did not do that, Adam, this week once again, outside of a couple little nuggets, which, of course, give you hope. But, look, I want nothing to do with a five-man fast lane main event or whatever it's going to end up being. I'm sorry. I want nothing to do with Charlotte and Ruby Riot, which was announced this week in that video promo, as a title match at Fastlane. Like, Ruby's just not on that level, and we've talked about this in the past. Like, like I said, you want to put Mandy Rose in that level right now, I'll believe it more. Ruby wasn't even, I thought, a top four woman in NXT, and suddenly she's in the spot, right? Like, I was questioning if Ember Moon was main roster ready. She's way more main roster ready as a wrestler, I think, than, you know, than Ruby Riot is, but, but I mean, it's probably even pretty close. The whole point is I just didn't think they were ready for this type of fast forwarding. I'm sick of seeing Charlotte and Becky and all, and Naomi, three former champions, team up and then lose to the Riot squad who are just not believable. All right. That aside, this was not a good episode again. The only things we got to take us to the next step were Shane and Daniel Bryan arguing which at least was something to that storyline and does make us continue that question, Adam, of where is this going and what's Daniel Bryan going to do? Which, again, like our debate with Nick two weeks ago, I think the end game is going to be great. Take us there the right way. And Sammy saying he'll lay down for Kevin Owens. That was the only time while I was power watching SmackDown this morning and fast forwarding through a lot of it that my eyebrows went up and I said, this is a turn for the better in the storyline I want to see how this plays out in the Fastlane main event, and how we probably get to a Sammy KO main, Mania match that, by the way, could fill that st- Savage Steamboat role we were just talking about of the worker match of the night in the end. Where do you want me to start with how bad this was? Because I can go, I can start with the women. I can start with the United States title storyline. I can start with Rusev being the most over person on the entire brand, and maybe in, one of the most over in the entire WWE, and not being on the show in back-to-back weeks. I mean, where do you want me to start? Was Nakamura right. on the show? He wasn't on the show either, right? Your guy Nakamura? Nakamura? Oh, you mean the winner of the Royal Rumble who hasn't been on the show in two weeks, or featured in any way, or the, the universe reminded that he still exists, and has a shot at WrestleMania, supposedly against AJ Styles? Like, why would you have Nakamura come out on, after winning the Royal Rumble and immediately challenge AJ Styles. Not if you're going to have him in a one-on-one match, Styles. 
but a, a, a fatal five way where like chances are he should lose the title. I'm not expecting him to, but he could. So like it, again, just terrible booking. I hear but something. To go over, no, yeah. I hear something in your voice. I, I feel like SmackDown is like doing something to you, like over the last it few is. weeks. You know, it is. Over the last few months, I've felt a change inside with me with watching SmackDown. Wow, that sounds so similar to. I know that over uh, the last several months, I've lost a lot of things, and one of them has been my smile. This guy Silver King pulling an HBK here. I mean, I've lost I've lost my smile with SmackDown. Look, the the if I told you BC uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that SmackDown was actually going to book a storyline worse than the main event storyline, would you have believed me? No, no, no. Uh, I, well, the United States Championship storyline is worse than so the main bad. event storyline. And I'm going to read the – I think we have a DM, right? Yeah, we have a DM Wait, let me check. from on. Bones. Oh, yeah, we do. Go ahead. From Bones at Not The Real Bones. Is the SmackDown Top 10 list the ultimate sign of WWE insulting our intelligence? Yes. Running a mid-card feud about a list with no parameters. How stupid do they think we are? I feel embarrassed watching <laughs> it. Bones, me too. Yeah, I mean, if we don't basically get this soundbite from Vince McMahon next week. We in the WWF think that you, the audience, are, quite frankly, tired of having your intelligence insulted. Then I'm just going to about right. And we could sit here and, and comedically complain for four straight weeks. But I, I this week I tried to at least figure out what's missing. What is going wrong from SmackDown? And I think, Adam, right now it's not just the vanilla booking that's making me lose interest. It's maybe the fact, to me, for my taste as a wrestling fan, no one on SmackDown is allowed to cut a dynamic proto, promo at all anymore, right? And it creates, like, this huge hole that's difficult to crawl out of because, like, I love four- and five-star matches like everybody else, but I complain a lot. I want them on pay-per-views, right? I want them on things that matter. So, for me, I want Raw and SmackDown to get me to that point. And to get me to that point, what hooks me is the core of what we're watching, fighting or fake fighting in this case but it's the same premise it's two people hating each other and creatively and comically and angrily saying bad things about each other so you'll go oh snap like this is a real fight even though i know it's wrestling i want to believe it might be a real fight i feel like personally smackdown gives me zero from that category maybe it's the two-hour window that they're trying to squeeze in as many matches as possible but we're getting a lot of extra long matches that maybe to them is the right way to get the most ratings because if people are flipping through and they see AJ Styles in a you know 16 minute match over two and a half segments they'll be more likely to sit through it but to me as a fan I want the microphone in AJ Styles hands and I want something real and creative and in raw feeling insulting the guy across from him not the like if you went back and listened to that Bobby Roode and Randy Orton promo from this week it like oh. I mean, like, scripted is not the word. Lame is the right word. Like, it's just bad dialogue back and forth. People hate the prequels on Star Wars because George Lucas in introduced really bad dialogue that people wouldn't say. This is what this is feeling like in WWE. Give me a juicy Ms. Cena on SmackDown early 2016 before Mania promo, Adam. Give me something like that that's going to get me fired up. Sorry, 2017. Give me something like that that's going to get me to care about these people. And by the way, the Styles promo early in the show with Renee Young, it was unique at least in, in how it was designed. But again, they're scripting these things out and whoever is writing this crap. And I don't know if it's Brian James or if it's, you know, they have other writers and he just books the storylines or it's Vince, but like AJ Styles calling Sami Zayn like a boil on Kevin Owens back. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? That joke failed so hard. It's just bad. I mean, literally. Every single major storyline on SmackDown right now 
is terrible. And I realize some of it is because, yes, they have Royal Rumble, then they have these two pay-per-views, and they got to hold over to WrestleMania. And maybe next year when there is only one pay-per-view in between, it'll be a lot easier. But look, you, I could, you give me, I, I say this honestly, and I know every single person, every single WWE fan thinks they can book better than WWE. And the truth is, and us included, when you have to book for an extended period of time and you have to deal with Vince McMahon, it's very difficult, okay? But you could give me two hours, one episode of SmackDown, and I could fix all of these storylines <laughs> very, very easily. Because, and, and not because I'm great, BC, because they're so bad that it's easy to fix them. You could literally do anything else. And it would be better. You could have Vince McMahon come out and say, hey, Shane, hey, Daniel, you guys are being ridiculous. Instead of a fatal five-way, let's have that on SmackDown. The winner faces AJ Styles, and it's better. I love that analysis because I actually agree with you because I I get the same anger of lazy booking. But I know half of our audience, the people who are like, come on, Silver King, all you do is complain. Or the people who are like, oh, you think it's easy to book? they got to be thinking this right now. Are you smoking the same crap he's been smoking? Because if you are, brother, give me Give me some of that, says Hulk Hogan. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually gonna, gonna side with you completely on that. I, I don't think it's as easy as we think to book, but this, I think the system is flawed. The system of Vince McMahon at the end of the line with the stamp, which it's, that's a flawed system, right? You hire all these creative people, it's the same argument that we give, the same, you know, creative flow. It, it, it's not perfect and it's not working. And, and I think a good way to look at it in all of SmackDown Zills, and we've mentioned it on this podcast the last couple of weeks, we've talked about you know, Bray Wyatt winning the title at 2017 Elimination Chamber, and that's where I'm going here. And then obviously losing it to Orton at WrestleMania and how that, and then moving Wyatt just really screwed everything up. But BC, I said to you, I'm like, hey, you know, we're doing pay-per-view rewind for the 2003 Elimination Chamber. I think it was at SummerSlam, right? I said, I'd really like to look back at last year's as well. And we both watched it again because I was really curious to see a couple things. Like where has WWE come from just one year ago? And and that was a SmackDown pay-per-view, and now it's a Raw pay-per-view. But if I told you who's in this match and you realize that almost all of them are on Raw now, it really tells you the basis of the problem. This was the match last year. John Cena entered as WWE champion after one month after beating AJ Styles for the title, right, at Royal Rumble. He defended against Styles, Wyatt, Ambrose, Miz, and Corbin. You know who's on Raw right now? Cena, Wyatt, Ambrose, who's obviously injured, and Miz as the Intercontinental Champion. So the only people that were in SmackDown's biggest match heading into WrestleMania still are Styles, who's now the champion, deservedly so, and Baron Corbin, who basically loses every big match that he's ever been in. The, the, the response, BC, from watching this match that Bray Wyatt got for winning the WWE title, holy Massive. crap, was he over. And that match was really good, by the way. And, and that one was for the WWE Championship, where this year it's more of a play-in to get to Mania. But you just summed it up. By naming those names, like, that's... Look, the biggest problem with SmackDown outside of the booking is that they took away the biggest stars. Like, there's no question about it. It's, it's, oh man, to go back to that, the first thing that jumped out at me when I'm watching this card is we got Moro. And it's like, you almost forget that he was the voice of right. SmackDown. And that was a big part, by the way, when SmackDown made this run post-draft in 2016. It was Moro on the call. And Moro calling these big matches is better than anyone else in the company. And for my personal taste, that's just another sprinkle on top of what, why SmackDown has changed. But certainly, even with these big names being gone, you could have done better booking. And that's ultimately the problem. But, a year away from now, Cena was the champion then. You'd have to think his booking has gone down worse since then, right? Because he's this weird free agent on Raw, and he disappears a lot more than he ever did. AJ's 
standing and booking from a year ago to now certainly went down. He was coming off one of the best years ever in 2016. He was used horribly. And even though AJ's still so good that he received a lot of MVP votes or Performer of the Year votes or Wrestler of the Year, however people want to vote in 2017, I didn't think he deserved it because of the booking issues, right? I thought that he was second or third, you know, at the best, maybe even fourth because of that. He's worse off a year later because of the whole gender hijacking. Wyatt is a joke now. Ambrose moved to Raw, and he was in some good stuff, but he never got up to a huge high level. He entered as IC champ in this match. You know, Miz is 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 better off, but still, he wasn't in a bad spot then. And where do you have Corbin? About the same? Same spot. So, yeah. About the same. So They literally made ev- almost, almost everyone in the match worse by not just switching the brands and booking them how they have, but doing it in such a massive way and, and doing it as almost as a group with the superstar shakeup. Like the superstar shakeup, right? Had to have occurred because Vince said, SmackDown's too good. I want some of these guys on yeah. Raw. That's the only way you can justify it. And and I've said it before on the show. They figured that putting New Day and Charlotte, giving them back to SmackDown would like save and Kevin Owens, right? Would like save everything. And it I mean that was not nearly enough. Like, if you put Seth Rollins on SmackDown, right, and if you left Bray Wyatt, let's say that's all you did. SmackDown's really, really good right now because you're having AJ Styles, Seth Rollins feud, Bray Wyatt gets the title back maybe. Things are good, but the combination of the shakeup, the way they booked things at the end of last year, and giving Jinder Mahal the title, and by the way, like, they brought up guys from NXT. They brought up Nakamura, who can't talk, who we love, but who can't talk, and Bobby Roode, who's like, a stick in the mud. And the first first five months of Charlotte on SmackDown was welcoming committee. It wasn't her in a title match, right? Like it was it was just bad stuff. But you know, uh, our our number three on our main event this week, Adam, was a shocking news from the WWE twenty eighteen Hall of Fame class. Double J Jeff Jarrett. Like this, I popped for this just because it was so out of left field for me. We feel like we know we knew in advance everybody that was going to make the ballot this year. If you know from dirt sheets from Brad Shepard's tweet from a couple months ago, that still you know still said a lot about the whole XFL and all that. I didn't see Jeff Jarrett coming. I know you didn't see Jeff Jarrett coming. I want to talk about the WWE's Hall of Fame criteria in a second, but how legitimately straight up, how shocked were you? Because I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Um, I was shocked that. In 2018, Jeff Jarrett got added to the Hall of Fame. I could have seen it happening one day. I thought there'd be a greater removal from TNA. Um, I thought that they would be in a better place, uh, relationship wise. Now, I don't obviously know how the relationship is between Vince McMahon and Jeff Jarrett, but I would assume it's not amazing. Um, it just seems almost to me, and I could be wrong, but like they had the entire Hall of Fame leaked and they're like, you know what? We should add someone that didn't leak. That might be a good point because I've been racking my brain for a couple of days to try to figure out why they put him in now. Because look, he's didn't have great headlines last year, right? With the with the with the uh, I don't think it was a DUI, but there was some there was some there was an alcohol related incident, a drunken right? incident. Where, yeah. where he was drunk at a, at a at a indie show. That he had certainly had bad press from being brought in to save TNA and then being you know booted out pretty quickly. Like he's just it wasn't in a great spot, and he's never really been a huge WWE-friendly guy like you mentioned, right? We can always go back to him hijacking the IC belt and getting fired on the air in a very shoot way. So I've asked I've answered, asked myself a few things, and here's what I'm maybe sort of teasing at what, what it might be. I wonder, even though he doesn't own TNA, he founded it but doesn't own it, does he have any rights to the TNA library and any chance we're bringing him in right now and cultivating this relationship? It was a good thing. So I asked that question, one. 
Question two, do they have plans for him and Angle? Because they've had a long rivalry in TNA, and certainly with the whole idea that Jeff Jarrett's now married to Kurt Angle's ex-wife, Karen, like, is there? do they have plans for something like that? Or do they have plans for Jeff Jarrett in an on-air role, like a GM, where he could be a heel and maybe be a heel against Kurt Angle? I had those questions floating around because it just felt odd. I know Triple H is the ultimate mender. Of the, of the broken fences between Vince and, and Bruno San Martino and Ultimate Warrior and everybody else, this didn't feel like the situation where it was that needed right now. So for the TNA rights question, you know, I don't know obviously the details either, but I don't think so. I don't think there is any benefit from that end. In terms of his plans, whether there's plans with Kurt Angle or to put him on a brand show, I think Mike Graham, BC, probably best sums up how I feel about Jeff Jarrett. He broke 6,000 guitars, never drew a dime, but he thought he was the man. And he really thought in his little Tennessee brain that he was bigger and better and would draw more money than Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that's, by the way, that's from one, that's from one WWE DVD that I, I, I can't name it, but that's a great soundbite there from Mike Graham. There's it no really question. is. Now, I, I mean, that's obviously extremely harsh on Jeff Jarrett, but it is kind of true. Like he doesn't. To, it, let's say they have a plan to, to do something with Kurt Angle or make him the new SmackDown GM. Maybe once this angle with you know Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon comes to some conclusion, like that doesn't raise the rent. I don't want to see him on WWE TV. Look, I I, I asked our uh, our readers on our Twitter account at In This Corner CBS. I'm like, simple question, folks. Does Jeff Jarrett deserve to be in the WWE Hall of Fame? Seventy six percent said no. Three of four. Said no, BC. It's an, it's a, it's a really gray area. Okay. We, let's, let's break it down. The, the question is, is Jeff Jarrett a worthy WWE Hall of Famer? Under the standards WWE uses, which I've always had a problem with, I think actually he is. Look, there's longevity was always a big thing for him. He's got that under his, he, he was involved in many high profile territories, right? From his dad's in USWA through WWE, WCW, where he was the champion through founding TNA and, and, and you know, keeping himself on top. He's got that going for him under WWE standards. Yeah. And the whole idea, by the way, if they do bring him back as a character, he is a heat seeking missile and that's ultimately why people hate him. And I think why people do sort of downgrade what he actually did contribute is because he's so hateable in that regard. But look, in the end, I think he's more on par with guys like Greg the Hammer Valentine, guys on that IC level. And Greg the Hammer Valentine is in, and I think he's the perfect category of guy who shouldn't be in because Greg the Hammer Valentine was a solid character, unspectacular but solid, not a great talker, really good worker, could win your IC belt, could be part of a stable. That guy got in very early in the fledging years of the WWE Hall of Fame, and I think he's the perfect example of somebody who shouldn't because you have to have standards where somebody doesn't go above. And Jeff Jarrett is a flashier version to me of Greg Valentine. No, to support the Mike Graham, Adam Silverstein side of things, he's not really that great, and he's always rubbed me the wrong way, and he's always been annoying. And the weird sort of dichotomy to that is... He's an incredible guy in real life. I had the chance to, to meet him and actually hang out with him before the Royal Rumble last year and at an indie show in which he headlined. And he's – I wanted to hate him. I wanted to drop slap nuts references to him. And he's such a good guy. And I wonder maybe is that part of it? I don't know. He's just such a good lovable dude that it's hard. But under the way that if a real – if WWF had the kind of Hall of Fame standards – sorry, WWE – that the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is always, by the way, that the 
the one you point to, right? The, the, sure. That has real standards. I always say, if Don Mattingly can't get in the Baseball Hall of Fame, he probably will eventually, like 25 years as a legend. But if he can't get in, and here's a guy who had Hall of Fame ability, right, just didn't have the longevity, had the, the injury issues, then that's the perfect line. NBA does not have that line because they don't have their own Hall of Fame. They have the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, which has crap standards. WWE has crap kayfabe standards. Jeff Jarrett would not get in a real Hall of Fame for what he contributed to the business. It's funny that you mentioned Tom Adam. He's my favorite baseball player. I don't think he's getting in. Like maybe they have one of those like votes that after they can't get in for a long time. Yeah, Rizzuto got they, in when he was like eighty. He, Mattingly's yeah, so maybe maybe Donnie will one day get in. But like right, like he should be in in the you know Cooperstown. Um, Greg Valentine is really the right kind of comparison, and you can ar- not even argue. Jeff Jarrett has a better resume than Greg Valentine, but he's the perfect example. The difference is, as an older guy at the time, I'm okay with. These some of these guys getting in once there's a removal and you say you look back on it and you're like, you know what? Jeff Jarrett, man, he was like a six time IC champion and blah, blah, blah. But the guy's like 50, like Kane's he's like the same age as Kane. Kane's still wrestling or whatever. Um, so so I, 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 there's no need for him to be in right now. But I went back and I by the way, I do disagree that he's a heat seeking missile. I went back and looked at WWE's entire Hall of Fame, every single person in there. And I wanted to see when did things really start going wrong and like, you know, what who really is in there right now who shouldn't be right so i looked at this whole list and i kept comparing every single one to jeff jarrett i didn't really have any issues until 2009 but once 2009 really started or or since when since that class things kind of got off the wall you had coco beware in 2009 not a hall of famer not a hall of famer not he's not that made me that that made me mad rikishi in 2015 not not a hall of famer the the godfather in 2016 not Again, the great funny character, not a Hall of Famer. The big boss man in 2016, I can make an argument for longevity, but for me, not a Hall of Famer. No, a a great hand, but again, not a Hall of Famer. So when you compare Jeff Jarrett to those guys, he definitely deserves to be in. He has the resume. He has the longevity, a career in WCW, even though when he was champion there, it was that like new blood or whatever the hell that's. Like it was, it was done. It was that done. was the end. That WCW was, the, was done. The Russo and him as champion contributed to it. Yeah, Russo okay? Ferrara uh, with the you know Viagra on a pole. Those were the uh, you know those exactly. scrap era. So so if we're letting like Coco Beware and Rikishi and the Godfather in, like who's next? Like are we getting Dean Douglas, Savio oh. Vega, oh. Duke Drosy, Mabel and Moe? Like like where are we going with the WWE Hall of Fame? We're literally, it's anyone who Vince decides should be in. Yeah. Because I mean, that's where we're going. There's no criteria for it. It almost feels like there's some quota filling. It feels like we have a, we have to have a woman each year, a woman each year, right? It feels like they've been trying to, cause look, WWE doesn't have a great history of race relations and treating African American superstars the right way, right? And it feels like to a certain degree, they've put in people that maybe certainly didn't deserve it and they're trying to, you know, balance things out that way appropriately. I think though, if you're going to get in outside of, if you're just an incredible character that drew, you're you're going to deserve to get in, right? Or if you are somebody who – sort of my debate all the time on, on sort of the NBA. If you're not considered one of the top four or five, you know, in the in an MVP debate at least a few times in your career, then can you truly be a Hall of Famer or are you just a compiler? And look, guys like – a guy like Kane is definitely going to get no question about it. But even Kane is a compiler to a certain degree and that raised the rent and value on him. One of the greatest monsters of all time will get in on his own because of that anyway. But there are a lot of guys, maybe even Mark Henry, who's a little bit more compiler than he is great. 
Hall of Fame right. worthy. We'll certainly get in because that's the WWE standards. But should he? I think there needs to be a cutoff point rather than just, all right, who's a great character? Oh, oh, Beefcake. We even put him in. Let's put in Beefcake. Right? Let's put in yep. Coco Beware. Let's put in Rikishi because the fans popped for him. No, you need long-sustained success as a true title guy, in my opinion, or a true draw over a long period. If the Rikishi character was over for 20 years, then maybe. But it was really a short window in his larger career, if we're being honest. It, what they really need to have is some type of differentiation where you either have like WWE Hall of Fame legends, you know, class where it's the top guys of all time, Andre Hogan. And, and maybe that does expand every year and you do add one name every year, but it's the top tier. And then the rest of the Hall of Fame or you have the Hall of Fame and like the WWE honor roll or something. And then that group of people is the Rikishis and, and some of these people, they feel that they want to bring in there. But you did touch to a point and look, it's not lost on me, the list of names that I read. Coco Beware, Rikishi, the Godfather, especially. You know, WWE, they, they probably want to have some diversity in these classes. And obviously this has nothing to do with Jeff Jarrett, but that's their, it's, it's their own fault that they don't have enough diverse, whether it's African Americans or otherwise performers that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame because they don't book them as champions. Like when's the last time we, we had an African American Heavyweight or intercontinental champion. Well, like, hold, up, hold up here. There is no racism here in the World Wrestling Federation. We don't allow it. We'll allow it under any circumstances. And that's the bottom line. All right. Because I don't like where you're pushing this right there. No, I'm just kidding. You're right. You're right. Well, I mean, let's, let's get Big E. Put it, <laughs> I mean, don't tell me. You, you can't tell me I'm wrong. No, no. You're, you're 100% right. That's, that's a big part of it. And, and you know, they're, they're doing the same thing, I, I think, with women superstars. And there's even been a couple, you know, questionable. There will be more questionable ones. Look, they don't care. It's kayfabe. The whole thing's kayfabe. I wish they cared a little bit more. And certainly Jarrett getting in is, is very questionable from that standard. But that wraps a very extended uh, main event this week, Adam. We're going to bring back an old segment that we haven't played in a while. It's This Week in NJPW. Yes. Just so everyone knows who's listening to this, this segment is being done under protest from the Silver Cat. The anti-revolution Silver King there. Uh, we do this this week because NJPW made an inaugural trip to Australia for a four-city tour, and it was a big deal, and a lot of our Down Under listeners, and man, do we have a lot of them, and they are passionate. They were there right off the top. We got a really nice bonus DM slide. <laughs> From our man Cody D at Dobbs Cody, who says, Hey bro, just got back from the NJPW show in Sydney. Revolution is the word. I'm a massive wrestling fan and I was shocked by the sheer number of families, young couples, and hipster types that were there. Near sellout of 5,000. Not bad. He says, No TV, but the tour was announced just over a month ago and it filled very quick. Our guy, the, the MIDI brand, who I know Adam, Nick, not big fans of good old DMIDI78 on Twitter, but he sent a picture of the crowd. He wrote, Supporting the revolution. Hashtag in this corner Hashtag MIDI worldwide Adam we got some bonus sound From one of our mainest men One of our finest listeners The great Omar Al-Rashid Who was present at the show in Melbourne Let's enjoy Hey guys this is Omar Al-Rashid Reporting in from Melbourne Where I got to see the New Japan Fallout Down Under tour Now I just want to give you some of the highlights from the show uh, It was a lot of fun About 5,000 people attended Really good times so, Minoru Suzuki is completely over in, in Melbourne. We all were chanting for him. It was insane. The pop he got was huge. His entrance was amazing. People love Suzuki. Jay White had the opposite reaction. For what's basically a local boy, he's from New Zealand, 
Um, in Australia, we usually adopt successful Kiwis, but for some reason, people did not care in the slightest about Jay White. People were dead for his match for about 90% of it. It was silent. It was crazy. Then we got to see the Young Bucks and Cody participate in a six-man tag. Um, of course, the Young Bucks were extremely over. Cody got booed. It was People loved it. And during the match, Cody tried to do Kenny's Terminator dive to insane booze. And then at the end of the match, um, Cody said that the Young Bucks were the best heavyweight tag team in the world, calling them jacked at 206 pounds. So it does look like the Young Bucks are moving up to heavyweight, but we're not sure. The Young Bucks then replied that Bullet Club would only be fine if Kenny was involved. And speaking of Kenny, in person, he exceeds the hype. I've never seen anybody wrestle like that and command the crowd's attention like that. We got to see him face off against Okada and it was electric in the building. People were losing their minds. It was insane. It was a six-man tag and people were all over the arena in the crowd fighting, but only the fans only cared about what Kenny was doing. The way he commanded attention was amazing. He won the match after hitting a crossroads followed by a one-winged angel and people reacting astounded that he hit a crossroads and a one-winged angel. People were losing their minds. At the end of his match, he cut a promo saying that the Bullet Club was fine as long as he had the Bullet Club OGs and his brothers, the Young Bucks, um, he would get rid of the Bullet Club pretender soon enough, referencing, of course, Cody Rhodes. So that was the show. Thanks for us for listening. Uh, love the ITC. Peace. Hey, shout out to our guy Omar for the breakdown there. Look at Adam. He called the Kenny Pop euphoric. There was almost like a sounded a little bit like a Hogan response there. I mean, the revolution is real, and this guy is the face of it. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it was a great show there. Uh, you know, it never. Su- you're never going to surprise me by saying Kenny Omega delivers, right? Or or that NJPW delivers. Uh, you and I had this conversation on DMs uh, before I even heard. I didn't know this was coming on the show, but just we were talking, and like I've tried to watch. Ring of Honor the last three, four weeks. Like I've taped their TV shows, right? And I've, I watch them just, just cause I'm really curious. They come out like 2 a.m. by me, right? It's not good. I can't watch it. I can't sit through it. It's not entertaining. It's not enjoyable. Wow. They got like some dude punishment, Martinez, like really? Dalton Castle's your champion? Really? So the revolution, in my opinion, which is still in quotes, by the way, quote unquote revolution for me, it's completely contained. In Japan with NJPW. Wow, this guy Silverstein watching uh, watching Ring of Honor like. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Ring of Honor is not on the level of NJPW, in my opinion, either. And when I'm talking revolution, I'm talking Kenny and the Bullet Club and really NJPW. I, I don't disagree necessarily with you. I like some things Ring of Honor does, of course, but I don't think that that product is on the same level of NJPW, which is an interesting debate. Uh, we, it does bring a debate of wanting to see Kenny in person, which we don't get a lot, to, uh, a big chance to do in the States, right? He does a couple Ring of Honor dates. We saw that NJPW show last year in the U.S. They're going to be back again in March. This Mania weekend, Adam, for everybody that's going, you and I will be there. You do have the dilemma to want to see Kenny. He added a show Thursday night. I believe it's the, uh, was it, is it the Russell Khan show? In which he's going to be in a Golden Lovers tag match with Kota Ibushi, where he also has that big Saturday night show opposite NXT, of course, against Cody in their, in their big Mega Powers Explode-esque sort of blow off. Oh man, Adam, it's tough. 
Because that's a loaded weekend anyway of wrestling, just WWE. Not to mention that Thursday night, Zack Sabre Jr. is going to fight Matt Riddle for Evolve. Sabre's going to fight Ishii of NJPW on Friday night. I mean, there are a lot of potential items on the menu, even if you're not a WWE Hall of Famer NXT guy. Did, is it pushing you any closer, though, in the tease of like, man, I don't want to miss NXT, but I really don't want to miss Kenny in person? So it's not because I know I'm going to see him, right? Like Ring of Honor, and I, I didn't mean to crap all over him. I was just, I was being honest. I watched four weeks of TV. I, I deleted it from my recordings. Like it's not coming back. Um, so they were down here, you know, in November, I think it was in South Florida. And I was not able to go because of course it was in the middle of college football season. So it was like the one, one of, you know, 16 weekends all year out of, out of 52 weeks that I can't go. They were down here. So hopefully I will see him at some point. The fact that he's wrestling on Thursday night, granted it's a tag match and it's with Abushi as opposed to against Abushi, which is like a dream match for me to see in person. I would rather us, and I hope we make this decision together and we don't split up while we're in New Orleans. I hope we go see them Thursday and then understand how good the NXT New Orleans show is going to be on Friday and still go and see that. I understand the desire to potentially see Omega Cody, but like Kenny said it himself and sure it's kayfabe, but like. Cody wrestles three star matches. If I want, if I'm going to go out of my way to see Omega to miss an NXT show, it's not against Cody. It needs to be against Okada, Ishii, uh, Abushi, Tanahashi. Like I need it to be against someone better than Cody oh, with God. just a storyline right. that I don't care about. First of all, how dare you? You, you gotta stop. This, 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 this code, this cup of hate is Cody hate has to stop. Uh, the three star gimmick is not true. Him against Okada was fire last year at NJPW in, in Long Beach. Him against Obushi uh, was fire at Wrestle Kingdom this year. I know we're talking about two of the best three wrestlers in the world that he was with, but still Cody can bring it and certainly in a juicy storyline against Kenny, you know he's going to raise his game to a higher level. Come on. Silver. I mean, you're right, but you can't just discount who he fought in those matches that you were putting over like, the Abushi match, you know, I watched it, right? I loved the match. It was very good. Cody had that awesome crossroads from the ring apron. Credit to him. That was awesome. The rest of the match was Kota Abushi. Like, I don't know what star rating Meltzer gave that one, but whatever it was, it was like 75% Abushi. And that's why, and by the way, BC, that's why I kind of want to see the Kenny and Abushi tag team match more, because even though they're not going to be against each other, it's going to be a rare opportunity to see them together. Even if they do this tag team for a year, or they, like, I don't know how this storyline is going to end. Obviously, it's where they're going in NJPW. I would rather see both of them together, my maybe two favorite NJPW wrestlers, as opposed to just seeing them against Cody in the Super Card of Honor show with an undercard that I'm really not going to care about. I don't know what else is on this WrestleCon show, but if Zack Sabre Jr. is on that, or if I get a couple other dudes, I'd rather, and by the way, it's a day without any other wrestling. So then we get wrestling Thursday, NXT Friday, we got... I guess the Hall of Fame Saturday and then WrestleMania Sunday. That's really a solid four days. Oh, and Monday Night Raw on Monday. It really Friday. is Beautiful. amazing. If you're going to go for that week from, you know, Wednesday or Thursday through Tuesday, if you do it, there's so much. It's it's a dream. I love what they've done to Mania Weekend that every other promotion puts their biggest card in the same city that people like JR do, you know, spoken word shows that like, I mean, it's 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 absolutely fantastic. Man, I want to go back in hard on you on Cody, but he he's the man. He has been on uh, BTE, by the way, being the elite, getting in the Young Bucks' ear about how Kenny says the Young Bucks are the best junior, the best tag team in the world, but then throws in junior afterwards. And the Bucks are like, what are you talking about? Does he really? So 
the idea that the Golden Lovers, Kenny and Ibushi, could also be long-term heading into a feud against the Bucks. There's a lot of potential juice coming your way in the Revolution and NJPW. Uh, also, Kenny Omega was announced by Chris Jericho as the big reveal for the Jericho Cruise, which, again, big news for Chris Jericho. But only 2,200 or so people get to be on that cruise, and that's a big problem. If you know, I don't think they're going to stream it. That's a big problem, but it's good news for people that are going on that cruise. Kenny Omega will be there. Finally, for our NJPW talk this week, Adam, I do want to ask one question. The only match we know for when New Japan comes back to the U.S. March 25th in Long Beach at the Strong Style Evolve show, which will air live on uh, Mark Cuban's network. What's that called? Uh, I don't get AXS? it. AXS? Access or Access. whatever? I don't get it, and it still angers me. And it won't be live. On the NJPW streaming service is what things are looking like because Mark Cuban bought the rights. We know Mysterio is going to fight Liger. We don't know any other matches, right? There's been a lot of Jericho, uh, Tetsuya, Naito buzz, which would be fantastic. What, as a not guy who's drinking the juice and pouring it over his head like I am about the revolution, for the revolution to take the next step, for you, Adam Silverstein, what match needs to head off that card to, to really keep the momentum going? I don't have a great answer. I think you have to have Okada on the show. Um, I think Jericho, if you put Jericho Naito as the main event, I think it's a win because even though Omega is really the guy, right? He's the one that you want to base. If you're in JPW, you want to base this quote unquote revolution around him. He's not in a storyline right now that really would put him in the main event of that show. Whereas Jericho, he has the storyline going. It's been kind of dormant a little bit. But you don't even need one. Like, if you're saying Chris Jericho and Tetsuya Naito, the most over guy in Japan and one of the most popular WWE superstars of all time, is leading your main, your main event for the show, that's good enough. So I think that will wind up being the main event as long as they have that match. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see just a Golden Lovers tag match. Maybe it is against the Young Bucks. That seems yeah. a little too early for that well, to happen. Look, since so. this is... Uh essentially going to be a, more than a week before the Ring of Honor Cody Kenny show. You're going to have to do something storyline. But, but then again, I don't know. I don't know how uh, NJPW and ROH, I know they share talent, but are they sharing storylines, right? Well, that NJPW Long Beach show set the tease toward the storyline payoff for Ring of Honor Mania Weekend. We don't officially know that, but you would think you would want Golden Lovers and some kind of tag match that Cody is involved on the other side and that the Young Bucks would have their loyalty split and torn and, and really juice up the Cody Kenny payoff that we're going to get. I think that has to be there. And if it's Jericho Naito, like you said, it's a win. NJPW, revolution, moving forward. Yes, fired up for this, Adam. I'm back. Come on. Speaking of moving forward, um, we have spent entirely too long talking NJPW. All right, we've probably about I'm just time, being honest. Probably about time we go back in time for my favorite segment, Adam. It's back. It's Pay-Per-View Rewind. <laughs> Adam, this week was a was a random DM viewer uh, supported and contributed match, which we talked about last week from AP at the High King Peter One. We will hear from him in a little bit, but the match was 2003 SummerSlam Elimination Chamber, the second in history. Triple H entering as World Heavyweight Champion versus Shawn Michaels, Goldberg, Chris Jericho, Kevin Nash, and Randy Orton. All killer, no filler from a star standpoint, Adam. Before we break it down, let me tell you quickly the story. The year before, at 
2002 Survivor Series was the first Elimination Chamber match. Triple H entered as World Heavyweight Champion, exited losing the belt to Shawn Michaels, and spent 48 hours in the hospital with injuries because of how brutal the inaugural match was. Triple H goes on to win the title back in December at Armageddon over Shawn Michaels, and they showed a great pep talk before this match of Ric Flair in the locker room. This is, you know, of course, the Evolution stable trying to talk Triple H into it and, and really discussing the dangers and details of this match. At this point, Adam, Elimination Chamber has kind of been there and done that. This was when the brutality really stood out. So I like the story as we headed into it. Yeah, it was a solid story. And you really, it's difficult to argue, maybe with the exception of Kevin Nash. But if you remember, he was kind of split. Who is he going to help? Jer- uh, Shawn Michaels or Triple H? And, and there was an extended storyline with him for a year where he was in and out of WWE due to storylines, injuries, so on and so forth. You could argue outside of him. The rest of the match was extremely solid. Obviously, having Jericho in there was great. And Randy Orton, still extremely young in his career, got a lot of shine uh, in that match, although he became quickly fodder for uh, Goldberg, and he took him out pretty quickly. Uh, But it was a fun match, and you forget now, and this is something, BC, that when I was watching the 2017 Elimination Chamber that we mentioned a little bit ago, I was so impressed last year. They redid the structure. It looks amazing. They have lights all over it. The, the, The... whatever you want to call it, the cage, the mesh on the outside of the structure was a little bit different. The, the platform had changed. It was a little bit wider. And the individual cells themselves were awesome. That one was like the original chamber. And it was like, I don't want to say crap, but it was the best they could do definitely for 2003. But compared to today's cell or today's chamber, it's completely different. So it was a really old school feel going back and watching that match. Oh, yeah. And you, I love these type of pay-per-view rewinds because you go back and you watch the entrances and it takes you back. And by the way, Randy Orton, like we're so used to late 30s, kind of lazy Randy Orton who could turn it on when he wants to, but he's always coasting. Holy crap, watching prime 23-year-old Randy Orton. By the way, JR was billing him as 21 on the broadcast. An evolution ripped like into it, moving great, was really refreshing. Seeing Kevin Nash at 44 with the dyed blonde hair doing the kind of diesel get up still looking fantastic was great but why is triple h coming out in like knee length tights that was that was a little bit uh i forgot that part ever happened in his career it's funny you said that no i don't think it was now you guys can correct us if we're wrong or correct me if i'm wrong i don't think that was a part of his career like i think he wore them that night and maybe for a month and then never again it was a really weird look and he also had knee pads underneath so it was like he was wearing Almost Capri pants, you know, it almost <laughs> got down to that level. And I was like, what is Triple H doing? Like, he looks so strange. One thing I loved about the match, uh, which was actually replicated in the 2017 Elimination Chamber, I'm not trying to draw uh, parallels here, just happened to be, was in 2017, the Miz kind of was scared to come out of his cylinder. Triple H and Ric Flair barricaded him in the cylinder when it was basically, what, just him and Goldberg, right? Left? Yes. Maybe there was someone else. Um, and I loved that Goldberg was able – he just kicked down that door, dragged him out. Oh, like it, yeah. was, it was classic Triple H, you know, swarmy, scared heel and classic Goldberg destructive well, monster. You had Rick Flair awesome. flipping him off with two hands and trying to right. hold the door closed with his feet from the outside. Rick was great in this match. So let's kind of run through some of the things. Right away, Adam, it's 2003, so we're getting blood. And by the way – a match this dangerous with chain leak fence walls needs blood. Like, I know we're in a PG era. I know we can't have these things. But right away, right, Nash busts open Jericho by throwing his face in, into the cage. HBK suddenly is bleeding from the same thing. Trips is later opened up by Goldberg. And it's like, this is what should happen in the first 10 minutes of a match with this type of stuff around it. So it was great to go back in time and see that. 
Early spots I like when Kevin Nash got eliminated, by the way, by a uh, super kick from Michaels and Jericho pinned him. He got so mad, he jackknife powerbombed the crap out of Jericho and Orton. Like, that was old school, going to give you the biggest possible bump I can before I walk out. Uh, I love that. And then when Goldberg finally comes in, he was the last one to enter the match. Adam, you forget sometimes. 2003 Goldberg is so over and so hot. The pop was massive. There's no booze. And the run, the tour to Goldberg that I mentioned that he goes on is impressive. He picks up Orton over his head in a gorilla press, then drops him and catches him into a power slam, which was sick, right? Spears the crap out of Orton to pin him. Spears uh, Jericho and then throws him into the cage wall. And then you have this moment. And you couldn't hear what, exactly what JR was saying because I think his mic got muffled in there, but he was flipping out. So that was Goldberg spearing, of course, Jericho through the pod wall, which doesn't break at first. And by like sort of a second effort, he breaks it. That was absolutely an incredible spot in this match that I popped for watching this. And look, this was really me watching this match for the first time, right? And that led to that moment that you talked about with Flair flipping off Goldberg. It gets down at the end to Goldberg and Triple H and Goldberg kicks a hole through the glass, you know, plexiglass and then punches a hole through to eventually get out Triple H to set up the finish. Adam, before we get to that finish, look, this wasn't a beautifully wrestled match, but considering the names involved and these car wreck moments, it really heated up late. It did. And anytime Goldberg goes on or, or someone like Goldberg, Lesnar, Goldberg, you know, guys of that ilk go on a run of dominance. Um, it's always fun for me. It brought the match down because I watched 2017 just before it right and the 2017 elimination chamber for me is like maybe the best ever or one of the best when you really put it in context of what happens in the ring the story they told etc it was maybe like a 4.25 star 4.5 star elimination chamber last year then i watched this one and it's good like there's a couple big spots obviously nash like you said destroying people and goldberg going crazy but because Goldberg went crazy, he just eliminated a bunch of people at once. And it just kind of took away from it. And then you have the finish, which you'll get to. So for me, it I don't want to say it ruined the match, but it definitely got knocked down a peg because of the way the finish happened and because of Goldberg's dominance in the middle basically negating what had happened just you know prior to it. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, if you're going to watch the 2017 match first and then watch this, I do get that because 2017 was really expertly booked. Like, they figured out how to properly book these matches. This is a match from 15 years ago. That feels like a match from 15 years ago. But that tour to Goldberg, I mean, he spears Orton for the pin, jackhammers HBK for the pin, and jackhammers Jericho for the pin to set up the final two. It was enough to get me to pop. It was enough to get me there. That finish, of course, is... uh, 
Flair throwing the sledgehammer into the ring to Triple H, who catches Goldberg not seeing it. Earl Hebner still in the company gives you the count for the win. Evolution comes in and they're stomping Goldberg. They're giving him two sledgehammers to the face while he's tied up in the ropes. And then, did you catch this? Flair. Now it looked like Goldberg had already sort of hard weighed in one spot, but Flair put the little chain around his hand and hard weighed the crap out of punches on that to make the blood spill down Goldberg's face. I was actually questioning before that moment. Is Goldberg gonna blade or is he, you know, is he above that? Cause he, it's not like he was blading in WCW, right? I figured he was probably above that. No, he did it. And then Triple H really being a top level heel, putting the belt in his face and saying, you'll never see this. And they just, you know, viciously beat him up and handcuffed him to the cage wall. I, look, I popped. I was like, I want to see what happens next on Raw. Did you catch any of that? Like after the fact kind of, kind of feels. You know, so Triple H obviously wasn't the booker in 2003, but basically anything he wanted to happen happened, right? It's crazy how people put give Triple H so much crap, right, for putting himself over time and time again and booking himself extremely strong, right, just as he did here. And now we laud him as, like, the savior of WWE storytelling. Like, this guy is going to come in, right, and not put himself over. I mean, look, when, when Triple H does, like, take over he's going to be in an authority mr mcmahon role like you can almost bet he'll be involved i'm guessing on tv in a major way but it's just i just i kept laughing to myself i'm like look at triple h putting himself over this is a guy that's going to save us like this guy with the with the capri pants you know holding the belt in goldberg's <laughs> face this is this is what we're, what we're banking on going forward for wwe first of um, all how dare you how dare you judge triple h in his booking if this whole thing doesn't bother katie vick then really who are we to judge? I mean, come on, come on, Adam. Uh, but I will say, but I will say the ending again because I, not just because I'm comparing it to 2017, but our tastes as wrestling fans now in 2017, 18, because we're older a little bit and because of the product WWE is giving us, they're different. I want a high quality match, not just a crazy controversial finish. So for me, the finish detracted from the match because you're already in a chamber. Now you got the sledgehammer and Flair's getting involved from the outside. And it ruins it a little bit for me. So I'm going to jump ahead to grades, and then you can well, talk no, no, no. and give yours after. One second on the grade. Hold on. Just a quick postscript. Next night on Raw, Goldberg challenges Trips to a championship match. That, by the way, is the same episode of Raw where Kane tried to throw Shane in the burning dumpster. Instead, Shane like super kicked in there and said, burn in hell. Everyone remembers that moment. Goldberg would go on to win the title. So look. Elimination Chamber at SummerSlam is your setup. Goldberg wins it one month later at Unforgiven in Hershey, Pennsylvania when they did a title versus career match, which at that point, again, I'm talking to Samson. I'm not watching week to week. Two months after that in December, Triple H wins a triple threat match that also involves Kane to win it back. And we saw that title go into Mania, WrestleMania 20 in 2004, of course, with Chris Benoit winning it in that triple threat main event. And that WrestleMania is where we had Goldberg-Lesnar in the match that they both got booed out of the building, right? Of course. So that was the postscript. That was the end. We're going to get our grades in a second. But before we get there, we want to take it back to our man AP, who sent it in. He's got a little bit to tell us about why he loves this match. Hey, guys. First, I have to give credit to my 12-year-old son, Kyle, for suggesting this match to me and my brother. While normally his suggestions are things I've seen several times, similar to you guys, this match happened during my mid-20s where I didn't follow the product as closely, so I never had seen this match. But the name recognition, Michaels, Triple H, Jericho, Orton, and the big shockers, Goldberg, and some hybrid NWO Nash Big Daddy Cool Diesel character piqued my curiosity. The layout of the match, starting with Michaels and Jericho, and then adding a young, motivated Orton was excellent. 
The Big Daddy Nash spot served its purpose, but one of the treats for me was Michaels bumping like crazy for Nash and Goldberg, perhaps foreshadowing a, a new Michaels SummerSlam tradition. See Michaels versus Hogan SummerSlam 2005. The finish was, nah, it was okay, with Triple H ultimately winning with the sledgehammer. So match quality-wise, I give it three out of five stars. But I'm going to call an audible and channel my inner BC feel spot scale. Come on. I can't ignore the nostalgia factor of this match. Let's go. From the Fink announcing the main event. Bring it. To JR. My man. To the big gold belt being on the line. One time. To Ric Flair's hilarious antics outside the chamber. Stay hyped. To the just plain significance of having these six guys in a match. Here we go. And how surprisingly over Goldberg was even before the multiple spirits especially the one to Jericho. Three times. I give this match four out of five stars on the field spot scale. Oh, yeah. I love the show, guys, and the honest analysis, especially when you guys differ, because it reminds me of how me and my friends are when we watch wrestling and have different perspectives. Keep up the good work. Wow. Wow. This guy, AP... At the High King Peter One, shout out to his son Kyle, the twelve-year-old who was also in. You can hear him in the background on that clip. How am I not going to play that whole clip? Come on, you know they're they're appealing to me right there. Give 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 himself a feel spot vote right there. Come on. First of all, five-star comment video clip or audio clip. I mean, whatever you want to call that, five stars right there. Thank you for sending that in. That that was kind of my feel spot moment. I don't even know if I'm going to end up having a feel spot <laughs> moment at the end of the show because that was it. That was really good. Well, he gave the match what? Did he say three, three and a quarter? That was the he said three. So no, he said three stars for a match, four stars on his field spot scale. So why don't we follow suit and do the same thing? Well, Meltzer gave it three and a quarter stars for reference. Adam, what are you scoring this? All right. So match three stars. Um, I think he had it right. It's just between the ending, between Goldberg's run in the middle, there's really nothing coming out of that match. Outside of Goldberg kicking in the plexiglass that I'm going to remember when someone says to me, hey, you remember that match that you talked about last year on the show? Uh, you know, what what happened in that match? I'm going to like, well, Goldberg kicked in the thing. Like, that's really all I have that I'm taking away from it. Three stars, A for effort. Um, field spot scale, I'm not going to go for 3.25 just oh, because God. of the Big Daddy cool Nash, as he called it, factor because of Jericho just getting his ass kicked. Uh, Shawn Michaels taking a bunch of really clean hits and Triple H acting like a scaredy cat with Ric Flair helping him keep that uh, cage door closed. So I'll give him an extra quarter point for that, but not much more. What do we got over here? This guy Adam Payton on everything today. Look, this is a three and a half star match overall, considering all things together. Feel spot, it's a four and a half. I, I pop big in this. I like the big moments. I liked it in hindsight watching this. I like the star value. I'm kind of right with AP, but I'll give this a three and a half star match. I know it's limitations, but I enjoyed it. But Adam, I think you hear that noise. <laughs> Very quickly from Adam X. Parsons, a guy who slides in them DMs a lot. His was his analysis. He says, after rewatching the match, his biggest takeaway was how far that World Heavyweight Championship's prestige has fallen over the years, going from high-profile wrestlers, then on to guys like Jack Swagger and Christian. He says, it's sad to see what the big gold belt became. Hey, very well said, Adam X. Parsons. Your thoughts? Uh, he's right. You know, it's also sad to see what the WWE Championship became this year with it on Jinder Mahal's ways. So... I mean, it's it's almost strange that WWE is treating their belt like they did the big gold belt, but that's basically what they did this year. So, I mean, and this match is a reminder of when that belt mattered, right? That belt is one of the rare things they took from WCW and and kept it prestigious and made it something. And I do miss those days because that might be 
my like second favorite belt in in wrestling history. I love that the I love the honor and the in the you know and the history that goes with that. It's my third favorite belt behind the WWE title and the Intercontinental title. But I, I do love it, and it it made me wonder like when they were reintroducing the belt, why they just made the Universal title and didn't just bring the belt back. Like it's been a couple times, you know. It, I, I just don't get some of the decision making that they that they make and like calling something the Universal title and then splitting up the SmackDown uh, the Raw and, and SmackDown tag team and women's instead of bringing back maybe some old belts and refashioning them. I thought that would have been cool, but this was definitely a reminder of that. I did see the belt and I was like, man, that was pretty cool. That was, that was I, I, I missed that. All right, Adam, we got to get out of here by previewing Sunday's Elimination Chamber pay-per-view match. Where is this taking place from here? I did not put that in my notes. This weekend is from, of course, T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Makes sense because of Ronda Rousey's involvement. Uh, let's speed through here, match by match. Where do you want to start? Yeah, let's kick it off right at the beginning, BC. Matt Hardy versus Bray Wyatt. Uh, they didn't even really announce it. They just kind of told us on Raw that it was on the card. <laughs> so we're getting another, uh, you know, broken Matt Hardy or, or woken Matt Hardy, I guess, against Eater of Worlds Bray Wyatt. There really hasn't been too much storyline development here. I guess, what do you think of this match being on this card, and who do you think wins? Well, something had to be on this card outside, you know, because this is the fourth match, and there's only four matches on this card, so something had to be on there. I'm still a little bit sore, to be honest, that they they had such a quick pinfall on the Raw 25 show. It was like a five-minute match. It was almost like a squash match, and you're right. No storyline development. This week, set up and tease was, again, nothing. It's like, let's exchange catchphrases uh, alternating for, for two and a half minutes. I don't know, and I don't know who's going to win, and it's not really moving me. We thought Woken Matt would get the big push and be the winner of this feud, but again, when you don't build a foundation, it's not going anywhere, so I'm not moved. Yeah, I, I don't even know how they can book it storyline-wise. Like, Let's say one of them wins clean. Well, okay, right? What, what are they then going to do coming from here going into WrestleMania? Like, You need to have probably Matt Hardy or the Hardy boys if Jeff's healthy enough to return at WrestleMania again, right? So... How do you make that happen? How do you reintroduce Jeff? I think this match ends in a weird way that allows WWE to go back to the Hardy compound and actually break Matt and build that storyline into a feud match with Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. That's my hope. I'm not going to predict a winner because I don't really think there is one to predict. I'm going to add a match here. It's not on our rundown. I'm going to make the assumption, BC, the bar will defend their tag team titles against Titus Worldwide on the kickoff show, right? If yeah, that match happens, do you see any chance of Titus and Apollo Sands Cruz winning the titles? No, I don't. And I actually don't think they should, but I will say I will pop. I, you know, I love mid-card guys. I love jobbers. I love anyone getting a chance and getting some shine. And now we've seen two victories by Titus Worldwide in surprising fashion. Look, it's not going to happen, but if they did, it would be something different because even though the bar is great, we saw them too many times against Reigns and Rollins, so there's nothing they're doing storyline-wise that is moving me. So if they lost the title by upset, at least I think it would give you something worth watching to see what happens next. Yeah, they, they definitely o- almost oversaturated us with the bar because it was always the same matches, and they were all good. But they never they didn't have a good enough tag team division on Raw in 2017 for the bar to stand out as they truly should have. And the program with Rollins, I mean... Nine months, right? It right. lasted well, think for, about forever. It. And not, not, not again to spend, you know, an hour and a half complaining on the show, but what, what's one storyline the bar has had other than them having that great series that turned into them teaming up together? What's one wrinkle of a storyline they've had? They haven't. 
There's no storyline. It's roll them out there and they'll have a four star match, and that's that's great. But it doesn't, it, you know, it, it doesn't carry over. It's not hard, guys, to have a storyline. It's not hard to have a reason why two f- people have issues with each other. Come on. And what's great, and what's great is they are great together, and that was a genius addition by WWE putting them together. So let's move on on this card. We have Asuka going up against Nia Jax. Now Asuka has already won a chance at what we were told was her choice of women's title at WrestleMania. She has not made that choice yet. She's going up against Nia Jax in this match. If Jax wins, she will get into the Raw women's title match at WrestleMania. Whether that includes Asuka or doesn't remains to be seen. So BC, with this stipulation and with Asuka's undefeated streak on the line, who do you think wins this match? Look, you say it best every week 15 times. Very convoluted how we got here. So with that said, though, it's going to be a really good match. And Asuka's going to win in some form. And that's, you know, you could take that to the bank, the blood bank. I mean, we all know this. Asuka's streak can't go down like this. It's going to have to go down against a Charlotte or a Rousey in a SummerSlam or a, or a WrestleMania. Let's be really honest. They spent a lot of time, although they do like to end things for no reason. Remember when Charlotte had that unbeaten streak on pay-per-view matches that they played up and then suddenly she lost for no reason? So yes, I do. they do do those things. I'm really excited for this match because you do want to see these Titans go against each other in a match. That matters. With the streak on the line and the opportunity of being added to the match, it does matter. How they get you to Asuka winning, though, is going to be interesting because if they just do it by dominant force, it's not going to make a lot of sense. I'd like to see them actually have an epic match where Asuka escapes and survives, which I know they've, she's already kind of done that against the other women on Raw every week, but I mean a real one because no one's a physical threat like Nia Jax. I'd like to see Asuka have to be the real babyface and come from behind and they would play up the whole match. This unbeaten streak is going to be gone, right? Like they're going to play that up. I want to see them get to that point. You know, we give WWE a lot of shh for only being able to book one women's angle at a time. But as they're leading into WrestleMania and as they are booking, uh, you know, Ronda Rousey and the women's championship and Asuka and Flair, they're doing a really good job putting multiple storylines together, BC, and this being one of them. Do you want to know what Nia Jax's chances of beating Asuka at the Elimination Chamber are? Zero point zero. And that's all I have to say about that. I do have a prediction. I'm going to roll this in, BC, to the Elimination Chamber women's championship match. Because I have a prediction that takes uh, Nia Jax and actually gets her involved in this. Now, if you go back to No Way Out in 2009, and this is when the Elimination Chamber, and we mentioned it earlier with SummerSlam as well, was not its own pay-per-view. It was just a match that they put on shows when they needed to have it. And by the way, I like that a lot better. But if you go back to No Way Out in 2009, Edge, I think, lost the title, uh, WWE title or, or something, earlier in the show, then attacked I forgot who he attacked, someone on the ramp on their way into the Elimination Chamber and locked himself in one of the cells. What I would love to see is Nia Jax lose to Asuka early in the show and like as Mickey James is coming down to the ring, just wipe her out and take her spot in the chamber, lock herself in, get involved in the match. And whether she beats Bliss or not, there's a potential storyline feud there going into WrestleMania. So that's what I would love to see happen. But that is me just booking the damn territory. I, I'm, I'm somewhere in that category because we have to get to the point where we think it's going, which is Bliss against Nia Jax for the title, if we think Asuka's going to match up against Charlotte. And I look, I don't think we know that yet. I really don't. You can follow dirt sheets and read them, but I don't think we know that yet. But I think they do want to tell that storyline of Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax being best friends in real life, kind of tenuous friends at times when they need to. And to do that, you would need bliss to maybe have a hand in this Asuka Nia Jax match. It's either going to be Asuka surviving as the babyface and coming underneath or Alexa Bliss saying, 
Why would I want Asuka to join my title match? Or, I'm sorry, uh, Nia Jax to, to join my WrestleMania t- title match. I'm sorry, Nia Jax. I'm not going to help you enter that match. And then Jax getting revenge in the main event and doing it by hopefully breaking a pod. I mean, we'll never forget the time Nia Jax ran full speed into the ringside barrier wall and like destroyed it and knocked it over and it became a meme. Let's see her do that because she's not like most girls to one of these elimination chamber pods. I want to see her have a hand in the finish. But that's the interesting thing. We feel like Alexa Bliss has to win to retain the title, right? Where like that's what's sort of interesting where this match, the women's elimination chamber, is for the belt, like the men's match was last year. Yet the men's match, which is going to close the show, is for a chance at the belt. This is a little bit confusing and a little bit interesting. It doesn't give them as many outs with Alexa Bliss, so that leads me to believe that she has to win this match, correct? So, I mean, I do think she ultimately wins the match, but you say that the men's match is closing the show, BC. I have it last on our rundown here. I don't know that the men's match is closing the show. I think that's a leap to take when you still have Ronda Rousey's contract signing as part of this. And you don't know when that's going to occur, what she's going to say, or really how that's going to all transpire. You basically have three women's segments and two men's segments on this show. To me, that means the women are ending the show. But that's besides the point. I do think Bliss ultimately wins the match and survives. I think she's small enough where they could do some funny stuff and like put her on top of one of the cells and just like, curl up and hide for a good portion of the match i think that would be hysterical there are things they can do with her to keep her alive throughout the way i would book it if it was up to me and i said this a couple weeks ago i would have sasha banks win the title and i would have oscar sasha banks you got a little preview of that i think at the royal rumble it was or a match on raw and a match on raw it was both um i that's the match i would love to see at wrestlemania i just don't think it's going to happen i do think ultimately we're going to get oscar and charlotte flair but you know, the way they – it was very confusing the way they announced Nia Jax's stipulation and maybe not just put her in the chamber itself. Like, why wouldn't she just be in there instead of anyone from Absolution or Mickey James or Bailey or whoever? So that just leads me to believe that there's going to be some connection between these two matches. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of wide open here. I will say this about this match. I do like that Absolution, meaning two of the three, because Paige can't wrestle, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, are going to be in this match. I wasn't sure at first. I sort of said, they don't seem to be ready. Why are they in this? They've come a long way in a couple weeks. This week was the week I was like, in-ring-wise, they can bring it. They're fine with me. I know that bots. there's still a couple botched spots here and there, but the look mixed with... With, for the most part, what they can do in the ring and, and how they've advanced quickly, I'm believing in them. Even if the wrestling isn't perfect, I'm believing in them in a ways I'm not believing in the Riot Squad to the point that I think Absolution as a tag team with Paige as the manager, and I know we don't have women's tag team belts, but they would be a perfect candidate for that because they seem to mesh well together. Now they're finally wearing matching t-shirts. I like their inclusion in this match. I want to see if they can elevate their game to the same level as the ones that we already know that are there. Now, one thing that we have to mention is that Raw ended with, I thought that Raw segment with the women was great, and I thought that, you know, Mickey James walking out with Alexa Bliss and, and getting her back against Absolution, we're going to see some payoff of that in this match, and it's going to be interesting how we do. I'm Look, I feel like logically you have to say Bliss is going to win the match, but I don't logically know how we're going to get there, and I like that. That is great. Well, I think one potential way, if it doesn't have to do with Nia Jax, is... Maybe you have a final three of like Banks, Bailey, and Bliss, and you know Bailey pins or, or you know Bailey pins Banks. She gets really upset, takes out Bailey. Bliss roll, you know Bliss pins her. That's it, and it's over. Now you have the the storyline that you want with Banks and Bailey, Banks turning heel, and then you have Bliss eventually with Nia Jax or whomever um, at the event. But I want to go back to what you were talking about with Absolution. 
So in-ring does matter, and I thought they really did stumble Monday night on Raw on a couple of occasions in that match. I thought it was actually their roughest in-ring outing since they've been on Raw. But I completely agree with you. I love the characters. I think they're great together with Paige as their manager. You're, you're right. There's not a, a women's tag team belt. But if there were, they're the perfect tag team to have them. Um, I really, like, as much as I get the zipper ready, as much as I love Mandy Rose, I'm a huge fan of Sonya Deville and her gimmick. Because what's really, really interesting is you have Shayna Baszler in NXT, who's a, obviously, former MMA fighter. You have Ronda Rousey on Raw, who's a women's bantamweight champion and one of the most dominant women's fighters of all time. And then you have Sonya Deville also with an MMA gimmick. But for some reason, hers seems more real than than Shayna Baszler's. Like, Shayna's a submission artist, but Sonya Deville is a badass who's just going to kick your ass. And I love her tagline, put your hair up and square up. I know it's kind of corny, but it really works for her. So I thought they've done an amazing job with Absolution. Oh, absolutely. And the complete opposite with the Riot Squad. I, I do The Mickey James thing, just to close, and it plays into the finish, if we, if I feel like, if we feel like Nia Jax is going to be looking for revenge and have a presence in this match, I wonder if Mickey doesn't continue to help Alexa and then, you know, that Mickey, uh, I feel like they want to reward Mickey for her hard work. I feel like we thought she, you know, they gave her that title run, a, a title opportunity against Bliss and we thought, you know, why is she getting it? Then it looked like she would retire after, but I feel like her time in the ring, this is just me feeling, probably is going to come to an end and they want to maybe reward that and give her a run and put her in almost like an Alex Riley role helping out Bliss. And it'll probably end again in, in them turning on each other, but maybe they would use her to go into mania, you know, in this type of role in the spot to give her the type of protection so that you would believe if Bliss is going to fight in a feud against Nia Jax with that size difference that she at least has some heel help to help her out. That's sort of what I'm going to get. Well, you could at. also play, you could also play into the best friend angle. Like Bliss is now befriending Mickey James again, which she did initially when she, you know, returned to WWE. Nia Jax gets jealous of that. Maybe that is if they do pull the No Way Out 2009 like I'm talking about. Maybe that's the reason why she picks her to take her out, thinks she's going to help Bliss in the match and ends up hurting Bliss or, you know, gets herself eliminated and gets mad. Maybe that is the storyline that we're working to. And let's not forget the single white female angle that they that Mickey James pulled off so well against Trish ahead of WrestleMania 22 in Chicago with with that famous, you know, sign that that uh, Mickey James did by putting the, you know, her tongue between her fingers that will never be spoken of again because it was wiped from the (laughs) WWE Network there. But uh, yeah, Bliss is going over. We know that how we get there going to be fun to watch. But the men's match has almost the same scenario, right? That we talk about that we know it's going to be Reigns. How is this match going to be great, though? What are we looking to see in terms of spinoffs? Uh, is this the time for Taker, or, or would it be the Raw after if we think we're going to see the Taker? I think that's a big question, and I think that while we kind of assume Braun and The Miz would be a spinoff, I'm hoping Seth and in, 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 uh, Finn are you know, in the same case. Yeah, I mean, we discussed it certainly earlier, right, in the show to open the show. This match has the ability to really set up a number of storylines heading into WrestleMania. You, uh, the obvious is, of course, Reigns potentially winning, going to fight Lesnar. Cena, the question is, does he break off with The Undertaker? Um, and it, does that actually come to fruition? Or were they potentially planning a John Cena-Samoa Joe match at WrestleMania where then Elias can step into that spot? And there's one. Then you would have, obviously, Miz and Strowman for the Intercontinental title and Rollins-Balor as, you know, just the incredible... Uh, shoot match that, you know, fan, not shoot match, but the incredible in-ring uh, technician match that fans would love to see at WrestleMania. So there is a legitimate opportunity that from this match alone, 
we get four WrestleMania matches. Now, is it going to happen that way? You know, that certainly remains to be seen. But more than anything, BC, I think what's most important here is how they book the match and who reigns ultimately pins to win it. Who do you think that will be? If it transpires that way, I'd like it to be Cena because I would like the handoff from Cena to take her. If we get there to be a despondent John Cena, who feels like he doesn't have anywhere to go and maybe comes out on raw and gives a long heartfelt promo about, you know, I got nowhere else to go. And then Taker comes out and sort of says, Hey, you know, you want it, you want to do something. I'd rather have that happen. I'd like to, I think that they've been building that Cena storyline enough where I want it to come down to rain Cena. And that's, that's how I'd like to see it end. So my only contention there would be. That would be Reigns going over Cena twice in a year, um, you know, in two matches that, well, the first one, you know, didn't matter, really. And this one matters, but it's not really a one-on-one situation. You do, you would have Cena losing again, which would be really solid. And you'd get him at the end of the match, which would maybe allow people to suspend their disbelief a little bit longer to think, well, maybe Cena is going to go over here, and we are going to see Cena-Lesnar, whereas... If you have Balor in that spot, you know it's not going to happen. Same with Miz, Elias. Yeah, but you got to weaken Cena, though. you got to weaken him to give him to Taker, who's weak right now. So I think that kind of plays into that. No, it does. And I think it's ultimately the best possible booking. I just, I'm concerned that WWE, they're, they're kind of in a no-win situation here with Reigns because everyone's assuming he's going to win, which is fine. Uh, but we've been waiting for this now for a year, right? If they don't book this match perfectly and they don't book it in a way where he can really go over and get cheers, then I'm not going to say they're back where they where they started with him, where he was getting just torrential downpours of booze, but he's already not the babyface they want him to be. This is the opportunity they have, maybe their last opportunity, to put him over in a situation where he's going to get cheered, and that can, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, just build upon itself, you know, on the rest of the road to WrestleMania. So that would be my concern here. That's fair. That's fair. Um, uh, you know, I want to see where Elias goes. I don't want him to just be in the Andre the Jabber Battle Royal this year. I want to see him actually get a get a you know get a feud out of this. And as much as we feel like we know it's going to be Braun Strowman Miz, I hope it's not Braun Strowman Miz. I just hope we get some kind of swerve. And that's sort of been the problem of booking Roman and Brock so far in advance that we feel like we know how it's going to end. Give us some swerve. I think they're out of swerves for the Roman side of it, but give us some kind of swerve on the underneath that we didn't see coming, even if it's as simple as Finn Balor against Braun Strowman. Give us that yeah. that swerve that we didn't see. In set that up and that'd be great and i and can so you, you did mention you did mention braun Strowman. we have a bonus dm slide here from michael cunningham at psk 102 he wants to know if wwe has booked itself into a corner with braun because he's reached a point he doesn't think he can accept anything other than braun winning the elimination chamber and going on to then beat brock lesnar at wrestlemania obviously just like us he knows that reigns has reportedly been the plan for the year but they have someone in braun who's as hot now as Daniel Bryan was, I don't agree fully with that contention. I think Braun's over. I don't think he's Daniel Bryan over. But he wants to know, is this an opportunity they can't waste with Braun? Should they change their plans and put Braun over? Or if not, what the hell are they doing with him? They're not going to, and that's really the problem. So, yeah, they should have taken advantage of it. They shouldn't have had him lose clean to, to Reigns and, and Brock Lesnar over the past year, but I think they're waiting to give him his moment, you know, as we head to SummerSlam. So I think that it's gonna, ha- it's not gonna happen for him. And it's a good argument to say that, that no one's, no one's, you know, more over, but I think you gotta then give him the true hard luck baby face where, you know, almost like the authority is holding him down, give him that type of booking. So maybe it is a little bit like Daniel Bryan to sustain us and sustain the suspension of disbelief. This guy is so dominant. Why isn't he winning? You're gonna have to screw him in this match in that same way 
I would think it would be cool, and I don't know what direction they're going. And, and even this Miz Strowman match that we're talking about, we don't know that that's for sure. I mean, Le- Lesnar Reigns, we pretty much know is for sure. The, but the Braun is, is still a little speculation at this point. But I would love to have Braun win the Intercontinental title from the Miz and take it, you know, for a year or an extended period of time, not a year, but take it into maybe SummerSlam against Reigns and you have IC versus world title and, and, you know, or universal title and there's something to that. But, there's some guys in wrestling that don't need a title to be dominant or to believe, for you to believe that they're dominant. And that's Braun Strowman. He's one of those guys. The problem is, at some point, you got to give them a title. Mark Henry had a title. Big Show had a title. All these guys, right? Lesnar, Goldberg, etc. So Braun Strowman is the next in line where he needs to get some type of belt or strap, I'm sorry, Vince, around his waist to kind of legitimize him a little bit more. It's fair, fair enough, fair enough. I'd like to see him in an actual storyline. Again, don't just let him break things. Have him in a storyline, and maybe that's fighting against the authority, which we've told a million times over. But that'll wrap up the preview, and I am really excited about the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, by the way, despite just four matches on the card, and that's a good thing because there's a lot of table setting to be done ahead of WrestleMania. Adam, we just wrapped a heck of a loaded show as we tease off the top. Special shout-outs to our AP, Omar Al-Rashid, for sending in some good sound. Everybody for sliding in them DMs. Continue to follow us at In This Corner CBS on Twitter. Adam, no time left but to give them them two words. We out.